every week at 10.30 and then sing like crazy, like there's no tomorrow, like what we just did. Because Yanni, who is, I'm not going to reveal your age, you know, she was like jumping around like crazy. And I said, I cannot, you know, Yanni outdo my worship. So thank you, Yanni, for beautifully leading our worship time. I think, I think you're... Just, just the testimony of you know of your life and and how you continue just to be in uh, running after God. It really inspires me. Amen. And so I just wanted to publicly appreciate you. And by the way, Pastor Ardri has safely and soundly arrived in Pakistan in one piece. No, uh, nobody has eaten him yet. <laughs> no Taliban or nothing. And he is with Pastor Danny. So I wish I could uh, show you the photos together, but. Uh, he uh, already inspected the uh, the lab science and the computer labs that um, that you guys help uh, put together uh, through your contribution last year. Remember that? Yeah. So uh, because of that, many many Hindu and Sikh people, or, or not Sikh Sikh, you know, illnesses, the Sikh S I K H, you know, with the turban, uh, Hindu people have been served, uh, you know, and and they get a chance to know Jesus. Isn't that great? I mean, we're not just living uh, for ourselves, but we are contributing. We're helping them to access to the gospel. And then ju that just makes us very, uh, us in World Harvest and Global Mission, very, very happy. So today I wanted to just continue our uh, sermon series in the book of Exodus. But by the way, uh, this past Friday, we just had our corporate prayer. 25 people were here. We had a good time. How many of you were here? On Friday, yeah, many, many of you, and we talk about how you know openness, vulnerability, confession, and all that. You know, uh, so just um, it was just great, and I, I, I picked up what uh, Yanni just said. You know, I am just a bag. What, what is it? Bag old bone, bag of bones. Right, right. Say that for yourself. <laughs> but, but and then you know, in, in Psalm thirty-two, on during corporate prayer, you know, when when we hide ourselves. Right, with our guilt and sin and all that, we would our bone is wasted away because we did not have that that open and 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 just in harmonious relationship with God. And so I'm connecting that with today because Exodus is basically God initiatively saving the people of Israel, right? Who is a typology of us from Egypt, which is a typology of our former life through the Red Sea which is a picture of baptism through the wilderness, which is all our lives now here and there in 2024. Can I hear your name in? Are you awake? Yeah? <laughs> so there's a lot of, uh, I mean, the book of Exodus is just pregnant with meaning. So here's the, uh, the anchor first that we have in Exodus 19. Uh, if, if you could uh, point, yeah, you are there. Thank you, Martin. So now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations, you will be my treasured possession. Do you know that you are so treasured by God this morning, people, right? Not just because you're beautiful, even though you are, <laughs> but, that, but because God really just loves you. And, and, and so a couple of weeks ago, we learned how the wilderness experience is a necessary part of life. It's, it's God's process to test our obedience, to reveal the ideas in our lives, and also to put on display that God is still at work even now, here and now in 2024, here in March 3rd, 2024. So uh, that's what we did a couple of weeks ago. So today, we come to the part where God actually gave, revealed Himself through His law, the Decalogue, 
Deka means ten. Log means words. You know, logos, which is the ten commandments to the Israelites. So these commands are best understood as a covenant stipulation. So if if we're going to do a sermon series on these ten law, laws, it would probably take us about at least ten weeks, right? But we're not going to do that. We're just going to go sweeping like a bird, you know, through these ten laws today. But people usually misunderstand this command in, in some ways. I wanted to just give you a preview here. Jesus, in the New Testament, made it very clear that He does not come to abolish the law. Do you know that the Ten Commandments still applies to us until today? Technically speaking, right? Jesus comes to actually to fulfill so that in our stead, okay, He died for us who cannot fulfill perfectly the law of Moses. And so... I just want you to know that the law, especially when it comes to civilly, you know, it still applies. That's why a, a very interesting statistics that I, you know, read a couple of weeks ago, the Ten Commandments was taken out from the public school in the United States, uh, probably beginning in the 60s. You know, little bit by little bit, the, 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 there is an erosion of, of just the law of the Lord, if you will, from the public spaces, you know, in America. And look at where we are today, you know, with all kinds of moral decay, right? Uh, so, but here we are in, you know, in the, in the point where God basically took them to the foot of Mount Sinai. And I want you to read together with me here uh, in, in Exodus 20, when it says that God spoke all these words. Okay. And then he says, I want you to focus first of all in verse 2. Okay, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Okay, Did you know that the, the, actually the Ten Commandments does not start with a command? What do I mean by that? The first thing that we see here is not do's or don'ts, not you should do this or you should not do that. Or you should refrain from this. You should abstain from this and that. No, no, no. What we hear instead to begin with in this, in this section is that there is this thing called grace. Everybody says grace. That's the pinnacle of the understanding of what God lost is all about. When you took at the root, when you look at the root of the Ten Commandments, the root of our law, okay, God starts by saying this. Let me remind you what I've done for you. That when you were still a slave, when you cannot even save yourself, when you don't have anything at all to offer me, I took the initiative, all right, to take you out of the land of this slavery where you were so oppressed, and it was so miserable. I took you out, not because you're good or anything, but because I just want to do that. And that is... The picture of grace for us today. Amen? That, I mean, I don't know about you. I was not thinking about God 30 plus years ago. I did not even want to look for God or anything. And then He just showed up in my life through a person, through a mentor. Right? And then revealed to me what the grace of God is all about. That, that I can live, okay, guilt-free at rest, being forgiven by God, not because 
I have something to offer. No, no, no. My life was in ruin and shambles. And yet, He took my life when he, I'm still His enemy and He forgive me no matter what my decision is. And that is so like the Israelites here. You know, I, do you understand that I love you so much, people? That I went down and rescued you from slavery. You were doomed and you were despair and you cry out for my help. And I heard your voice. I responded to your cry. That is where we start here with this Ten Commandments. That, so now in verse 3, he speaks to a people who only know slavery. He begins to give him a revelation about his character and then took them through all of these commands. And then this is what it says, right? In, in verse 3, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall, have not, you shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me. But showing love to a thousand generations, those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not, verse 7, misuse the name of the Lord your God. For the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. These commands are meant to be a response to God's grace rather than a means of earning his forgiveness. And that's why the Ten Commandments, as I said, start with a reminder what God has already done for us. And that's why right now, you know, as a response of His grace, we come to church, right? We gather as a community. It's not because we can earn our way to heaven or anything like that or earn brownie pounds, but because we already gained, we were already holy positionally before Him, we, want, we get to do all of these things. And that is the gospel truth. And so I wanted to camp a little bit here because there is one word that might, you know, prick your attention, right? The word here is a jealous God. What does that actually even mean, you know? Doesn't that confuse you, huh? A jealous God? Because we see in other parts of the Bible where the word jealousy is viewed in a negative light, right? Don't you agree? And, and what does this even mean? And then it says... Punishing the children for the sin of the parents. Wow, what is that? You know, yeah, don't you see, Pastor? You know, God is a mean God trying to just, you know, strike us with lightning and, and thunder and all that and, and just punishing you. No, 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 okay, okay. Let me, I, I, will, I will try to, you know, peel off what it means this, when, when the Bible says a jealous God. And then punishing, you know. When I punish my kids, which, by the way, I do a lot when they were still... A small kid all right i do not punish them in the goal of harming them do you understand that but when i punish them i punish them with love because i want them to become uh, to become an adult that is responsible that is mature that is independent that can make a decision on themselves so understand the word punishment here does not necessarily mean it's bad right I mean, in fact, the more you get older, the more you appreciate what your parents, I hope, <laughs> did to you. Amen? Okay, only the parents says amen there. I don't know why, but <laughs> I appreciate my mom and dad. And especially nowadays, you know, 
my, uh, my dad passed away two years ago. There are moments when I just cry about myself out and say, I wish my dad were still with me. You know, I can, I can just consult with him. <laughs> so if you still have your mom and dad, can I ask you this morning, okay, appreciate them. Express your love to them. Hug them, kiss them. Okay, maybe that's a P- uh, too much PDA. I don't know. As an Asian, maybe you're like, you know, I don't want to. But express them nonetheless. Okay? Punishing, disciplining, that is the godly heritage that you receive from your parents. Thank them. When they, if, if they spank you, which by the way, I got a lot of spank, spanking, you know, in my rump. Okay, TMI. But God punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and the fourth. This is what it means. If my great-grandfather's great-great-great-grandfather does not want to, uh, you know, come to the grace of God. If my great-grandparents doesn't want, if my grandparents, he's going to visit over and over throughout the generation. So that, by, by the way, my legacy, the family legacy, will be turned around in my generation because I know the Lord. That's what, I, what, what God says, like, you know, visiting the, th- he is a relentless God trying to pursue, you know, our family legacy so that we all come to the knowledge of the gospel. And let's, what is, what is this jealousy, you know? Well, by the way, before we, we, we go there, uh, I forgot my first point here. We need to be faithful in how we relate to God and represent Him. I get so excited that I forgot about this first point. This is the first point. We need to be faithful in how we relate to God and represent Him. Okay? By the way, when, when, we, when we say about faithful, what does that mean? Well, you shall have no other gods before me. We're, how does that even mean you know, at this day and age? Well, this is what it means. Number one, God does not want to be the first in your life. Let me repeat that again. You might be like, what is that? God does not want to be the first in your life. Because if there is a first, there would be what? Second and third and fourth and so on and so forth. And then you can have all other kinds of God in your life. No, 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 no. That's not what God wants, okay? I've got to be the greatest God in your life, and then you can have all kinds of gods under me. No, no, that's not what God says. Before me, by way of precedence, no, no, no. It's in my presence, you are to worship the Lord your God, and Him only shall you serve. You're not to have any other gods, meaning, this is the next slide, He is to be the exclusive God in your life. Okay? He wants, he doesn't want to be number one. He wants to be everything. <laughs> That's why I said this is a challenge. And the second command, you're not to worship other gods in the form of carved images in heavens above, uh, earth beneath, or water below. It's, it's basically a, an expansion or reiteration of the first one because God has made it explicit. Let me, let me unpack this thing. What does that mean? You know, pagan religion in those days are like politics. So, you know, in politics, if you know a little bit about it, you want to keep everybody happy by compromising here and compromising there, right? (laughs) So, keeping a lot of different balls in the air. And then God comes along and says, no, 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 no. If if you're going to relate to me, it's not going to be like politics, all right? 
it's going to be more like marriage. And I, I need you to be faithful to me. For God to say I'm a jealous God means I don't want you to treat me like you're, you treat other gods, you know. I want your exclusive commitment and devotion. And not only that, I want to be the, the next slide at the center of your love. And I want it to be a love relationship. All right. That's why God says relating to me is more like a marriage and not politics. Because in the ancient Egyptian, they had at least 2,000 deities that they worship. Nine of them, of course, is, you know, major. But 2,000 deities, oh man, how tiring that is. And that's why I wanted to come back again. What does that mean when God says, I am a jealous God? So there's the bad jealousy, which is the human jealousy. And there is also the godly jealousy. All right. Paul in 2 Corinthians 11.2 says that I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. In here, Paul acknowledges that there is a bad jealousy and then human jealousy. And then there is the godly jealousy. At that time, the context here is this. There are a lot of false teaching about Jesus, about the spirit and the gospel. And the Corinthians were easily led astray because of that. And so Paul is angry here because he said, I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I promise you to one husband to Christ. There's the language of marriage, right? So that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. Wow. For if someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus we preach, a different spirit from the spirit you receive or a different gospel from the one you, you put up with it easily enough. They did not push back. They just accept whatever that, you know, these false prophets basically offering them on the plate. And then they said, yeah, come, come, come. You know, they were so gullible, spiritually speaking, to be to taking in all kinds of teaching. And so Paul was so angry about that. But then here's the difference. Because this is a godly jealousy. He is angry, but they, he still loves the Corinthian church. I am jealous for you. I am angry, but that's angered love that stays love. Human jealousy is essentially what? Human jealousy is essentially envy. Can I hear that word? Envy. Man, everybody says. Okay? When you see all kinds of, you know, I don't know, movies. I don't know what kind of movies you guys watch these days, you know. Lone Tree Hill or something like that. I don't know. You know there's there's that, that jealousy, right? Boy meets girl. And then another boy meets the same girl. So girl got snatched with the other boy. And then the other original boy got, yeah, you know, yeah, right, right. The pride is hurt, right? Uh, it is so like, yeah, I mean, that's so human, right? And, and, and the Bible talks about that. Remember when, when, when Saul envied David, the King David? Saul basically said, you know, he was looking, you know, from the balcony of his palace. And then David just came back from the war, right? And then all the women, right? Oh, Saul kills thousands, but David kills tens thousands. And all of a sudden, Saul's pride got hurt. And then the self-centeredness raised up in him, and, and, and he became jealous. That's, his pride is hurt. That's the bad jealousy, Godly jealousy, if you want to judge on, it's not so much about you and your hurt pride. Can I hear your name in? It's about the loss of a relationship. 
Godly jealousy is love fighting extinction. Normal jealousy is love going extinct. That's what another theologian says. But because of your self-centeredness, because of your hurt pride, now you just hate the person who you love before. But godly jealousy is angered love that stays love and stays committed to rescuing that crumbling love relationship and getting that person back. And that's what God wants. You know, to save when, when he says that I'm jealous for you, he is trying to save us. He wants to have an exclusive commitment and he wants to be the center of your life. Not for his own benefit, but for all of our benefits. And then the last command from this section needs some kind of an explanation. What does that mean to misuse the name of the Lord? Some people say, oh, okay, if you, if you, you know, it's very common, right? In movies these days, when there's something, you know, really bad, you know, you know what, what did they say? Instead of OMG, they, they says what? Jesus Christ, <laughs> right? When, when I first came to the United States and then, they start yelling that. I'm like, you know, in the office, what did my God do to you, right? Like, what, what, what is that? And I didn't know that, the, you know, the culture is like, Jesus Christ is a cuss word. Well, okay. That could be one interpretation. But in the context of Exodus, the more likely interpretation is this, that they are not to misuse or misrepresent who God is and also His character. And so, Accurately representing Him is what we are called to do as a church, okay, as, a, as God's special possession. And while we may not worship idols in traditional sense, I want you, I want you to think this morning, you know, we, we have other things competing for our devotion and allegiance, right? We're tempted to worship, what, money, goods, prestige, some of us, you know, that are still single, maybe you are, you're, you're making, oh, I got to have a boyfriend, I got to be, maybe romance, comfort, and so many other things. Wanting to have someone in your life is not bad necessarily, but if you put that as the only thing, as the number one pursuit, that could be bad because it takes the uh, place of God. And so I wanted to just, Ask all of us, can we remind ourselves as we discuss this passage, you know, evaluate where our allegiance actually lies, right? Where, where does our salvation actually found? Where, where does our life come from? Who deserves an, our exclusive commitment and loyalty? And can I just encourage you to place Jesus again in the center of our thoughts and our decision this morning? Can I hear an amen? Let's be careful in how we represent him. Like the Israelites, we bear the name of Jesus and we're responsible for representing Christ faithfully to those who do not know Him. All right? In Indo, I remember, you know, we, our ID has to state our religion, right? Those of you who come from Indo. And, and, and the, you know, people state Muslim or Hindu or, you know, we, we, we have to state, right, Christian. <laughs> and so my question is, is, Christianity just a label that you put in your ID card, your you know, KTP. Or is it really your core identity that you live by, that 
that you put your allegiance. Let's give cons uh, careful consideration to our ways. That our conduct, speech, the way we face our suffering actually reflect the power of the gospel. This does not mean at all that you have to be perfect. But in fact, you can represent Christ well with your honesty, humility, and you know, as we talked about on Friday, you know, being open, being vulnerable, being, you know, making confession a daily habit. Making confession, being accountable to other people in our community here, something that you actually practice. You do not need to be, you, you do need to be intentional. You do not have to be perfect, but you do have to be intentional and discerning. Okay? Second point a unique covenant in the law with a unique God should birth a unique community. And I love this thing because I, as I, I look at around this room, you know, I just appreciate the, the spirit and the fervor that you have to serve one another and to serve God. You know, uh, almost all of you, I think 80 to 90% of you, you know, you already contribute in serving the church. And I... I wanted to give a shout out to you, uh, Hoagie here, who just, you know, first, this is your first time, right? Okay. I just love it when Julie saw the picture and then, uh, yeah, this is my husband, you know, I, yeah, so cool, right? Uh, I envy you, bro. No, just kidding. <laughs> but, you know, a unique covenant with a unique God should result in a unique community where we serve one another, Right? Where we are proud of our family. Are you proud of your family? Biological family? I am proud of IFGFOC. You, you guys, you love the Lord. You serve one another. You know, Hogi here, I'm sorry if I'm embarrassing you. You know, you can bury your face, whatever. He serves in music, he serves in children. All right? And then, well, Sheila is not here, okay? Her children are past whatever, the elementary school age, but she still is there, <laughs> stuck with the children. <laughs> Do you know how hard it is to, uh, to teach children? Man, I, I tried once, and I'm like, I gave up right away after one week. It's so hard to, to keep them in line. I mean, they always have a... Metabolism, like, you know, I don't know what, you know, I got tired in like five minutes, right? So, but I appreciate this, and, and it shows how we are relating, you know, the relational nature uh, with one another. And, and I said right before, uh, you know, honoring your parents, right? Exodus 20, 12 says, honor your father and mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. I mean, I can unpack this a lot. Man, murder, it's not just physically murdering, but you can murder somebody, characteris you know, characterization, right? Of somebody's character by gossiping, you know. We don't do that as a Christian. Do not commit adultery, right? And then Jesus elevate that in Matthew 5, right? If you... See someone and you lust after him or her, okay, in your thoughts, you're already committing adultery. That's a, a higher standard. You shall not steal. You shall not give testimony against your neighbor and all that thing. 
And, and you shall not covet, that's verse uh, 17, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, his male or female servant, his ox, donkey, or anything be- that belongs to your neighbor. Man, all of these laws, when I think about it, it, it talks about how we relate to one another. But there is also, I want to stop here by saying that this section reminds me of the purpose of the law. Let me ex- try to explain this. Right now, I'm doing at least uh, two premarital counseling, okay? And then I'm reminded that one of the pitfalls to avoid in marriage is mismatch expectation, okay? Because into, you know, when you get into marriage, you know, you're so excited for the possibility of love and romance, and finally I get to be with my lifelong soulmate. Yeah, you expect this, you expect that. But then there's a lot of mismatch expectation that could happen between the, you know, the husband and the, and the wife. So we talk about all of these things, about unspoken rules and unconscious roles for a relationship to work. There has to be rules of the game or the law of marriage. And imagine for a second if all I do every day, you know, in my house, is I wake up, I go to the kitchen, open up the fridge, Get my food, and then I plop on the couch, becoming a couch potato all day long, watch TV. And then I'm, after I'm done, <laughs> at night, I'll take a bath, hopefully, and then go back to sleep. I'm not carrying the weight of responsibility. Imagine that for a moment, you know. No chores, no nothing, just, you know. I'll let my wife do it, let my kids do it, you know. Buang sampah, go ahead, Evan, or whatever, you know. So, how long do you think the relationship with my wife would last? If you know my wife, maybe the next day he'll kick, she'll kick me out. Right away. Okay, Not an inch. <laughs> my point is, the purpose of the law is there for a relationship. Okay? In order for a relationship to work, there has to be the rules of the game. Amen? You cannot have a relationship without some kind of an understanding of what you expect the other party is going to do. And so, the role of God's moral law here is there also for a relationship. Okay? The idea that we need to obey these laws in order to have a relationship with God is so important. Okay? If you want to relate to God faithfully, you need to understand this thing. Now, Here's the great thing. God doesn't leave this law and then that's it. Because next week or hopefully in the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about the tabernacle. Okay? It is the way that we can, it is, it's actually a, a shadow that we need to sacrifice. And then it's so tiring, you know, with all of the animal sacrifices. It's basically pointing the need that we have, we have to have, which is a permanent solution in the forgiveness of our sin that can only be done through Christ. But, you know, going back to this thing, being a community marked by love and faithfulness also help us bear the name of God. In fact, Jesus said that his disciples would be identified and known by their love and by, you know, for one another. Why do we not murder? Because we love one another. Because our God is a God of love. Why do we not steal? Because our God is the God of honesty. Why do we not commit adultery? Because our God is a God of faithfulness. Amen. Why do we not worship other God? Because our God also gives Him His exclusive commitment to us. Right? 
So, yeah, I said I'm proud with our community here. We serve one another. But can I challenge you to one step further? Okay? Treating people well is not just limited on Sunday morning. Amen. Can, can we extend that? Can we treat people from Monday to Saturday <laughs> a lot better than we treat people here on Sunday? That's a challenge because you are already treating our family here so nicely. And I want you to take it a little further, especially when you drive. That's for me, by the way. Man, just now, you know, I was late, right? So I, I was on the very left lane, and then somebody from the, because I'm just driving myself, right, on the left lane. And then there's someone, you know, from the pool lane, and then he had to go exit there, and then he knows he's too late. And he said, sure, you know, oh, I was ready to cuss, but then I remember I have to preach today, so I have to keep myself holy. Oh, God, please help me. Can I challenge you as I challenge myself to treat other people more nicely than we treat people in the church? From Monday to Saturday. Why? So that people know that this is a different community. We represent someone higher than us. Our God. That's why when people cut you off, you don't cut them back. Or maybe just less, not, not as often as before. <laughs> process, process, right? Remember, we're called to bear the name of God as you interact with other people. And then lastly, <laughs> we live in a covenant with God. This is the third one. By receiving and extending rest. Now, I cover the first three and then the last six, right? And then this is the fourth one that is stuck in the middle. One of the longer commandments about the Sabbath there. God tells the people to remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. And then he then explains that they're to work for six days and then the seventh day is reserved for Sabbath. Very important for us Chinese Indonesian because we work seven days 24-7, right? Exodus 20, verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Everybody says keeping it holy. Meaning you fear. Okay? You need to obey this, guys. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. I don't know why they're son and daughter. Maybe they believe in child labor, but... For in six days the Lord made the heavens and earth, the seas, and all that is in them. But he rested. Everybody said he rested. On the seventh day, therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. In other words, we are called to follow God's example by resting on the Sabbath. Now that's the call of us to, to create okay, a space where we come, when we do not anything else, with no distraction. We just come to worship God, which is what we do here on Sunday. We are doing that practically, but I think the meaning of the Sabbath is much deeper than that, okay? When we live in a covenant with God by receiving and extending rest, this is such an important principle in our modern day culture, which is always on the move, distracted, lots of noise and notification. Do you, do you realize that if you have your devotion and then you put your phones and then all of a sudden you, you know, ding, you know, you know, 
I mean, it's so hard, right? So hard. You have to like put it on, you know, no, you know, dis no disturbing. And, and I remember in 2021, 2022, one of the terms that gets popularized is this term called quiet quitting. Remember that? Maybe those of you in HR knows. When employees basically continue to put in the minimum amount of effort to keep their jobs, but do not go the extra mile for their employer. Because they're what? They were burned out. They feel like they don't get the deserved rest. I don't think that's very Christian-like. Because Matthew 5.40 you know, says that if someone forces you to go with him one mile, you are to go with him two miles. Right? But... People are so jaded, so burned out with all of these things. And then they, they, call, you know, they, they continue to talk about resting and resting, you know. And, but the question is, how do we find rest? And looking in Scripture, I just want to remind you that the rest is ultimately found in this one person, and his name is Jesus. Because this is what Hebrew 4 says in verse 8. If Joshua had given them rest, this is Joshua, Joshua, you know, that takes them to the promised land. God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest, also rest, from their works. The work of trying to earn God's favor. <laughs> right? Remember the sacrifices that you have to offer day in, day out, and all that, which is what the Israelites do. Just as God did from His. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest, which if you continue to read you know, in Hebrew 4, He talks about how this rest is found in the great high priest, which is Jesus. What is the application here? Do you want to enter into permanent rest? Well, it's very easy. Have a personal relationship with Jesus, the Lord of the Sabbath. Secondly, if you already have that relationship, well, enter into His presence. Make it a daily habit to draw near and, and worship Him. I had a question last night, you know, to, and when, when does God's presence actually is experienced, you know? Do we, when, when we sing, you know, right? Do we have to have Yanni in our living room to always, you know, like hypes us up, right? I'm sorry to embrace you, you know, a lot today. Like, you know, it's impossible to have Yanni every day in your living room, right? To hype you up, to go worship, you know. I'm just back of bones, you know, living like whatever. How do you even experience God's presence? I believe you can experience God's presence by simply being honest and simply worshiping him just like what David did here in, in, in Psalm 23. When he prays, this is, I believe, a prayer of David when he was just, you know, tending his sheep. He looks at his sheep, right? That is so hard to obey David probably. And then he understands that, wow, I'm as bad as the sheep, but then God still loves me. And then he says, the Lord, next slide, is my shepherd. I like nothing. I love this thing. He realized that in God's presence, David, he says that I like nothing. In another translation, it says, I shall not want. 
I do not have anything that I want. Why? Because God fulfills all of my needs and not just my needs, but also my wants. Did you get that? Is that beautiful? All of God's need is, you know, I, I, I'm fulfilled. And yet, not only that, God adds some more bonuses. He adds a bonus, but even my wants, He gives me. He makes me lie down in green pasture. He leads me besides quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right path for His name's sake. Where do we experience God's presence? Simply when we just lift up a word of prayer. We sing whatever, you know. Maybe you cannot sing as good as Yanni or, or Dea, but even when you sing, you know, I believe you can experience God's presence right there and then. Can I hear an amen? You don't have to invite the great worship leader that we have here. Simply lift up a word of prayer. You already, God, you already express yourself. God, I want to just draw near to you. That's how we apply this thing. How do we enter into God's rest? Certainly by just experiencing His presence through worship and prayer. So today, as we celebrate this communion, it's a reminder again. A reminder that when we obey God, that's not a way, that's not a means of us earning our salvation. But when we obey God, it's a response for us. As those who have been redeemed by God, we are responsible to worship Him alone and represent Him well to others. We're called also to reflect God's love and faithfulness in our relationship. That's why we are placed in this unique community. So that we can tell the world, our God, through loving one another. And today I challenge you to take that a little further, right? Not just to treat those fellow brothers and sisters nicely, but what about people out there? While this seems like a tall order, we find the strength to live in covenant with God continually by entering the permanent rest that Jesus offered. And so today, if you have received Jesus as your personal Savior and Lord, take this communion and believe that when you break this bread and then put it in your body, okay, and when this element of communion becomes one with your body, that is how real it is. God is one with you. Can I hear an amen? God is one with you. His forgiveness is one with you. When, when, when you're tired because of certain things that happen in your life, in your life, you're invited to come to Him. Because the Word of God says, Come to me, all you are who are weary and burdened. I will give you rest. This is a good day. If, if you have not put your trust and faith in Jesus, today is the day when you make that commitment, that exclusive commitment. Put your faith in Him. Because He said, I am gentle and humble in heart. And, and you'll find rest for your souls. Because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Father, this is just a bird's eye view of what the Ten Commandments is. But today we're reminded, Lord, how 
all of those laws start with you declaring your grace. Even when we do not think about you, even we do not care about you, you are there. When we are still your enemy, you already have us in your mind. And when we went off to, to a ditch or go off our path, you rescue us. You rescue us from that land of slavery called sin, oh God. And may today, today's communion be a reminder, Lord God, that you died for, for us. That place on the cross should be us up there. Yet you took our place to die for us so that we can have this permanent rest, so that we have the assurance that one day when this life on earth but a distant memory, Lord God, we will be one with you in heaven. So receive our worship today, God.